We meet today in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1 to verse 6. The worship of the Lord in the millennium kingdom. We are also seeing the kingdom age in this chapter. The first 12 chapters of the book of Isaiah focus attention on Judah and Jerusalem. Judah and Jerusalem, mainly in the southern kingdom, not the northern kingdom. Chapter 12 forms a fitting climax and close for this whole section. The preceding chapters have said much about the sins of God's people, Judah warning them of the divine wrath provoked by those sins they had committed and the divine judgment that was sure to follow their sins. The last chapters there, they have also recorded God's declaration of forgiving grace for, for the penitent and the challenge to believe and the predictions of a glorious future for God's people. Now God's great name would be exalted and he his king would reign. Nothing would be more appropriate than a heartfelt psalm of praise to round off this section of the prophecy. But let me say some more about this chapter. This chapter is a fitting song of triumph and we see triumphant praise. And here this chapter serves as a dramatic climax and a doxology to the Emmanuel Prophets. The Emmanuel prophecies are the ones that began in chapter 7 up to chapter 12. We have been following a series of prophecies beginning with chapter 7 and concluding here in chapter 12. And those prophecies are Emmanuel prophecies with beautiful imagery. Isaiah closes this section of prophecy with a triumphal doxology of praise. The series began with the judgment of God upon his people. In Isaiah 11, we saw that the kingdom would be established on earth and that the Lord Jesus would personally reign in that kingdom. Here in chapter 12, we reach a high note as it were. A high note, we have reached the climax, the crescendo. The tribulation is past and the storms of life are over. That is the experience of any people when the storms of life are over. There is jubilation. There is celebration. In fact, that was also the experience of the children of Israel. Immediately after they had crossed the Red Sea, they began to sing songs of praise. Now Israel has entered the kingdom and we find them worshipping and singing praises to God. And we find Israel at the temple, not at the wailing war. Today, Israel is at the wailing war, which is one of the proofs that Israel's return to the land at the present time does not fulfill prophecy. When I was in Israel, it was around the Easter time. Did I see many of these Jewish people coming to the wailing war? And they were there wailing. They were there praying. That is not the place where they will be in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, they will be in the temple. And also this chapter is very brief. Only six verses. It reads like a psalm. For that is what it is really. It is a jewel of beauty. 
Here is set before us the praise of a people under the direct and personal reign of Christ. It is pure praise from the redeemed hearts to God because of his salvation and creation. Isn't this also fitting, my friend, for us today when you have been saved, when God has translated you from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? The fitting response for God's children is praise and adoration, thanking him for his salvation. And we see the children of Israel praising God. Why? The curse has been removed from the earth, which is an occasion for praise to God for his display of goodness in creation. You and I have not seen anything like this in nature because of the curse that rests upon it. But in that day, even what we see as deterioration in the earth, what we see as depletion of energy in our universe, things will be restored. People restored to God, the whole creation restored to God. That has not yet happened. It's still in the future. Today, nature has a sharp fang and a bloody claw during the kingdom age. That will change entirely. And the expressions here in this chapter are similar to the song of deliverance sung by the children of Israel when they crossed the Red Sea. Why? The enemies are over. The dark days are over. We have seen God's deliverance. Things are now bright. And so they sang the song of praise. So let us hear them sing that song of praise. Praise of the Lord for his salvation. And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. In chapter 1 here, the expression in that day introduces again two verses, particularly verse 10 and verse 11. Of chapter 1. And that was the focus on the Messiah and the remnant, and thus on the great final purpose of God for his people. So here, chapter 12, verse 1, has that same expression in that day. This is why I'm saying it is talking of that day, which is the future. This psalm of praise anticipates the feelings of his people when that great day comes. The eschatological nature of this expression, particularly when you read in chapter 2 verse 11, as well as the relationship of chapter 12 to the verses that precede it, further affirms the position that its application embraces final acts in the drama of God's dealings with his people. It's not present. It's not even medieval uh, acts of God, but it is the final acts. So this verse expresses the thought that the night of sin is over and the day of salvation is come. Israel has gone through the terrible night of tribulation and now the light has come. The tribulation is over, the storm is over, and they enter the peace and the joy of the kingdom. Because of that, this is an occasion for praise. The thing that will characterize the kingdom age is pure, 
joy, pure praise, jubilation. Why? The night is over. No more having to grapple with the issue of sin. No more to grapple with the temptation of sin. Sin, the flesh, and the devil are overcome. It is appropriate to praise God. God is not angry with us anymore. Though he was angry, his anger has been turned away. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Isaiah 12, verse 2. This verse is an amazing one. It begins with the word behold. Behold is a construct and it serves as a dramatic climax in this doxology of praise. It is used to announce the momentous truth which in the Hebrew language literally reads my salvation is God himself. Here undoubtedly is the culmination of the prophet's introduction of his mysterious character, Emmanuel, God with us. Not that they will not say that God provided salvation, but they will say he is salvation. God is my salvation. They are not saying God saved me or God will give me salvation, but God is salvation. My salvation is God himself. The assertion that God is or has become the salvation of his people goes perhaps a little further than a simple statement that he has effected deliverance for them. No, no, no. It is as if his person has taken color from his work. The person and the work belong together so that the one can hardly be conceived without the other. They have become one. Salvation also, my friend, from this verse shows that it is a person. It is not a program. Salvation is a person. It's not a system. It's not a ritual or a liturgy. Salvation is a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ, Jehovah. They are praising him for his salvation. And they say, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For yea, the Lord is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Isaiah 12 verse 3 says, Therefore with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Again in this verse, the singular gives place to the plural in anticipation of verse 4. Isaiah has already used the imagery of water to symbolize divine supplies that are totally reliable and so can be trusted. That is what he talked about in chapter 8 verse 6. The waters of Shiloh flowing gently and yet constantly into the city are replaced by the wells of salvation from which the believing people may keep on drawing with joy. Now the figure there suggests constant recourse on their part and constant provision on his part. The wells 
speak of abundance. His salvation gives satisfaction and joy to the heart. During the kingdom period, there will be a time of great joy, which is what the Lord Jesus wants for his own people. He wants us to be happy now. We better start being happy now because in his kingdom we will be joyful people. Why should we be sorrowful here? Remember when the Lord Jesus taught us to pray. He said, pray like this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His will will be done in his kingdom. It's being done in heaven. We better be joyful people now. Our salvation should cause us to rejoice and sing praise to the Lord. I do not think that we are ever witnesses to him until we have that joy. You cannot be a witness for Christ until the joy of the Lord is bubbling in your heart. So we praise Jehovah for his salvation, but we also move on to the praise of Jehovah for his creation. And in that day, you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted. Isaiah 12 verse 4. In that day comes again, of course, that refers to the millennium the light part of the day. In the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord opened with the night of sin. Our day begins with sunrise, but the day in the Old Testament began with sundown. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 30 verse 5. The time of the millennium is the morning of joy and the time of thanksgiving to God for his salvation. But not only that, it is also to thank him for the fact that he is the creator. His mighty and expansive deeds are to be declared among the peoples and his name exalted. The deeds of God include not only his work in creation, but everything he does. Thus, my friend, all preaching must include the declaration of who the Savior is and what it is that he has done. The God of our salvation and the God of creation. He is our salvation. He is our creator. The proclamation to all the nations that the Lord's name is exalted is typical of Isaiah. That's what he did in chapter 2, verse 2 to verse 3, in chapter 11, verse 17. So much of the language used in this chapter now takes on deeper meaning when read in the light of the New Testament. The apostolic preachers, identifying Jesus as Lord of all, declared the exaltation of his name and exhorted people to call on him. Evidenced in Acts 2 verse 21, verse 33, Acts 3 verse 13 to 16. In that day you shall say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah is the word there. So again, it's almost like a Hallel psalm. Sing to the Lord for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Isaiah 12 verse 5. 
Now this verse declares that God has done excellent things. Literally means majestic things. We often sing the song, O Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It has these same thoughts. These great things are to be preached to the whole world and sung and shouted aloud. For great is the Holy One of Israel. In the beautiful language of this triumphant doxology, Isaiah brings this section of his prophecy to a close. God has done great things. When the six days of creation came to an end, God looked upon his work and he said that it was good. When God says it is good, it is good, my friend. I think it would be well for us to thank him for a perfect salvation and thank him for creation, even though sin has marred creation. Even though the earth has been cursed with sin, it is still beautiful, my friend. We better even be good stewards of the earth just to think how beautiful it will be when the curse is removed. It will be a beautiful earth. We will have an occasion to sing praises to God in that day as well as today. It would not be enough now that as in the song of Moses, the people should praise his name simply in the presence of another. The whole world must know what he has done so that his name may be exalted in all the earth. This again reminds us of the Acts of the Apostles and of the Great Commission that began to be fulfilled by the apostles. God is calling us to a great work to proclaim his salvation and to proclaim that he is the creator so that the saved people will continue to exalt his name again until the knowledge of the Lord goes all over the world as the waters cover the sea. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Isaiah 12 verse 6 This is one of the great throbbing and pulsating outbursts of a redeemed soul who is giving to God all that a poor creature can. His hallelujah, his praise. We talk of our dedication to God, but we don't even know what dedication means. In that glorious day, Israel will know its meaning, and we will know too. Viewing the entire context of the Emmanuel passage now, we are taken from a time when the nation of Israel is trembling in fear for the future of the throne of David to a time of unparalleled exaltation of the one who shall sit upon that throne during his great millennial reign upon the earth. In between, we are introduced to Emmanuel, the virgin son, who is indeed God with us. Next, we are told that he is to identify with the land, for it is his land. Further, he is described as the gift child who will assume government of his kingdom. We are further told that he is himself the mighty God in chapter 10 verse 12 whose rule will bring peace through his wonderful counselor. Finally, we are told that before he comes, 
the tree of David will be reduced to a stump. Yet Judah need not fear, for the time will yet come when God's king will sit on that throne as a branch that sprouts from the rootstock of Jesse into an everlasting kingdom. To the Christian, there can be no doubt that this entire passage speaks of only one person, Jesus Christ the King. Is he your king? It is worth noting, therefore, that the presence of God among his people is no contradiction of his transcendent uniqueness and separateness expressed in the phrase, the Holy One of Israel. He is distinct, but not aloof, for in him holiness and grace find their perfect union. Isn't he wonderful? He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of your praise and worthy of my praise. I am praising him. Will you join me, my friend? You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send an email to info at twrafrica.org. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me repeat that email address for you. Info at twrafrica.org